Well, let's pick up where we left off last week. I know we've been in this series, and we're going to continue in this series, and um, talking about finances. And, and when we look around the country, and we look around what's going on, obviously money is, is the root of a lot of things that are happening. We, uh, we look into, what, what do we judge presidents on, primarily? Economy, right? The economy's good. Man, it's going to... It was, he was the greatest president ever. If the economy was bad, whether he had anything to do with either one, it's all his fault. I mean, I remember when, when uh, President Obama was running for his second term, everybody was saying that there has never been a president win who had such a lousy economy during his first term. They said, so he's going to lose. It's never happened before. Well, trends are meant to be broken, I suppose. So anyway, so he ended up winning. But what do we judge them on? E- economics, Right. When we look at the world around us, money is what makes the world go around. It is what drives us. So when we look at this from a biblical worldview, we need to understand how money operates. And last week, we've started to get into the nuts and bolts of what we are seeing here. Because we're talking about tithing. Now, I know when we talk about this, some people just cannot handle it because they don't want to be told what to do with their money. It's just the reality of it. And there's a reason for that, and we'll get more into that next week, but we'll touch on it a little bit here. Why is it that for whatever reason, I can talk about almost anything. I can talk about political issues and not see the upheaval that you will see when we talk about tithing. Why do you think that is? Is it possible that there is a spirit behind money? Certainly there is. That spirit had a name when Jesus' time was called mammon. Right? It was the Assyrian god of, of riches and, and wealth. And, and so, there, and again, we'll talk more about that next week. But, but the bottom line is, is that when we look at this, there's a reason that we are so picky about it. And so I, I, was, I was having a discussion this week with somebody. And, uh, you know, what I try to do is when I teach on something is I try to stick to the scriptures by themselves. Not just give you my opinion on things. I try to tell you when it is my opinion. Uh, but stick to what the scripture says. And then I also am always going to bring the truth. I'm not going to sugarcoat something. And so I was having this discussion, and they were saying, like, you know, sometimes people get, get a little upset, you know, when they don't understand, like, these new churchgoers or new believers because they've never been taught anything about giving. Because what does the world teach? Not to give, right? We've got to hoard it. We might need it. We might need it someday, so therefore we should hold on to it. Okay? When the things of God are the exact opposite, and you'll see that coming up. And, and I said, you know, what's funny is that it's usually not new people that struggle with giving. It is people that have been walking with the Lord for a very long time. And, and she's like, really? I said, those are the ones who typically get the maddest. And I've told you guys the story. At the last church that I was at, the pastor was teaching on giving and tithing. It was a very good sermon series that he was doing on it. And one of the staff members' father-in-law storms out of the back of the church, kicked the door open, screamed at one of the security guys, there's some people call them ushers, and uh, never came back. And he said, I ain't letting no preacher tell me what to do with my money. And guess what? What was the preacher doing? He was reading him what the Bible said. That's all he was doing. So what he basically said is that I'm not going to let God tell me what to do with my money. Do we have that right? Absolutely we have that right. It's our money. We have freedom to do with it what we want, right? Absolutely we can. So you can choose to give, choose not to give. It makes no difference to me. You know, when John George was here, I, and I told you guys this, he was here on a Wednesday night, but I remember he had come to our church when I was uh, in high school, and I never forgot something that he said, because the pastor asked him to take up his own offering, which was odd. I've never seen that before. 
And he got up there and he said something that I, I, I just stuck with me forever. Is that he said, I want you to understand something. He's like, whether you give or choose not to give, that's up to you. It makes no difference to me. He said, because I don't survive off of your giving. I survive off of my giving. And that stuck with me because it's like I had never heard anybody put it that way. But when you think about it, is that the way that God operates? Absolutely. Give and it will be given to you. You want to be first? Make yourself the least. Right? I mean, it's just the antithesis to the things of the world. So last week we got into tithing. Okay? And, and so as we got into this, we started to see some principles here. First of all, we need to determine what is the tithe. Well, we know what tithing is. It is the first 10%, right? It's 10%. We've gone through Scripture. We know what it means. It means 10. Tithing means testing. 10 is always a number of testing. It's used in the Bible that way. But we also know that that 10% isn't just some random arbitrary number of 10%. It's actually 10% of the first fruits, And we will get into the nuts and bolts on how we do this, but for right now, just bear with me on this. We see that it is the very first and the very best that we bring back to God. We saw this in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. It says, honor the Lord with your possession and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now look what it says here. There is a cause and effect in this passage. It says, honor the Lord. Should we do that? It says it all over the place that we honor the Lord with every part of our life. So that includes our possessions. But he's being very specific. And with the first fruits of all your increase. Okay? So if I have increase, I'm honoring him by bringing the tithe back to him. But what is the effect of that? So that your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. The world says the opposite. If you're giving that much away, you can't make it. Well, it comes down to one of two things. We are either going to trust God or we're not. Can I do this on my own? Maybe. Maybe I can. Do people make it all the time without giving to God? Sure. Can you do well? Absolutely. But is that God's best? No. Look at Leviticus chapter 27. It says, the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Here we see it again. So it's not just bring a sum it's a specific sum, and it is the first. We bring him the best. Deuteronomy 14 and 22 says that you shall tithe all the increase of your grain in the field produces year by year. So we see it again. We're always tithing. Now, we're on a monetary system, okay? So farmers do not, when during harvest time, bring the first load in the combine by the church and dump it in the parking lot, right? We don't operate that way, or at least we don't want to, okay? Don't go out and butcher that new, uh, newborn cow and then bring it over here, okay? I will actually do do that. That's a great idea. Let's do that. We'll barbecue. We'll light up the smoker. We'll have a heck of a time. But, but, but again, we operate on a monetary system. It's a little bit different. But the principle is always the same, and that's what we're looking at, is the principles in this. Because we look down, is that tithing is in the New Testament, but is it commanded? No. Was it commanded to them? Yes, it was. It was commanded to the Israelites. But we saw tithing happen before that, because Jacob did it, and Abraham did it. So, we see that. But, what about the tithe? Well, the other thing that we saw about it is, who does it belong to? It belongs to God. That means that He has put it in our possession 
but we are to bring it back. Leviticus 27, verse 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. Whose is it? It's the Lord's. It's God's. It is holy to the Lord. What does holy mean? It is set apart. It is sanctified. It is consecrated. If a man wants at all to redeem any of his tithe, he shall add one-fifth to it. And concerning the tithe of the herd of the flock or whatever passes under the rod, the tenth one shall be holy to the Lord. He shall not inquire whether it is good or bad, nor shall he exchange it. And if he exchanges it at all, then both it and the one exchanged for it shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. So in other words, we don't go through and we're like, okay, I just had 10, 10 baby cows. Now I'm going to pick the worst one in the bunch to see if it's good or bad. That's missing the point. It is the fact that it is the first we bring it. And we're trusting God that the rest is going to be there. We see in, in Malachi chapter 3, that is the next step with it. Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, and that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will, be, will not be room enough to receive it. So what do we do? It belongs to God, then we bring it back. We bring it, right? It's His. So does the tithe belong to us? It does not. Because if we believe that God is the one that meets all of our needs according to His riches and glory through His Son, Christ Jesus, that means He is the one that is the provider for us. Whether it be food, whether it be shelter, whether it be money, whether it be vehicles, whatever that is, He is the one that provides it for us. And so of that, we bring back the portion that belongs to Him because it is holy and we set it apart. Do we have to do this? Well, we choose to. We should choose to. And I know this is tough because some people are like, I don't have enough to tithe. Like if you looked at my budget, if you just saw it, and I get that, and we'll talk about that. Because I've been there and I understand. This, is, this takes some effort here. But it is something that you'll never regret. Because if these are, all these verses are correct, then the last part of this last verse is, see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing for you that you will not have enough room to receive it. My question is this. Does anybody not have enough room to receive more? I got plenty of room. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this is what it is. The other thing that we see here is that, and I said this before, it is a test. Verse 11 in Malachi 3, And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, so that he will not destroy the fruit of the ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be delightful in the land, says the Lord of hosts. You see, what we've got here is all of these things laid out. This is what the tithe is. It is the first 10%. It's that simple. If it's $100 that you made, it's $10 that belongs to God, and we bring it back. Why? Because then he can pour out more. His hand is upon the 90. And we can do so much more with it. And when I say do so much more, I'm not talking about having so much more. I'm talking about doing so much more because there's a principle going on that we're looking for. We are funding the work of God around the world. This little church here in Rockport, Missouri has its hands around the world funding the ministry of what God's trying to do. And we're a little nothing church in the middle of nothing town. You, go to, you know why Rockport is even known in this area? Fireworks. How awesome is that? I go to Omaha. I'm standing in line at, at Walmart or wherever I'm at, and they're like, oh, where are you from? I'm like, oh, from Rockport. You got the good fireworks. 
Yeah, we do. They're not wrong. So, I mean, I guess if you've got to be known for something, it might as well, it could be Skidmore, right? What are they known for? I mean, yeah, exactly. But, but you guys see, this is the thing, is that we, if we do this, we're being tested by God, saying, will you bring back what belongs to me so that I can bless the rest? You think he wants to do that? Oh, my goodness, yes. We saw in Malachi last week, they said, that if we don't do this, what are we doing? We are stealing from God. We're robbing Him of what belongs to Him, which means that we had a choice to make. We choose not to. This doesn't mean everybody's going to do this, and that's okay. I'm not here trying to put on any kind of a guilt trip for anybody because, again, this church is taken care of. God takes care of this church. You guys give faithfully. There's no doubt in my mind about that. I don't worry about that. We don't have budget issues. We don't have any of that kind of stuff. I mean, even in a year where we've had to spend more money than we expected to because we put in, like, new doors and things like that, and it costs way more money than we anticipated, we're still doing really well. Praise the Lord. But, I mean, and just on a side note, if you didn't know this, we're getting a new roof, too. And the insurance company's paying for it. Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah. I'd tell you how much it costs, but somebody would fall over. Yeah, thank Jim Clodfelter on the way out. <laughs> and if you happen to have an insurance need of any kind, he'd be sure to take your information before he leaves. So anyway, but, but I mean, again, it, it's all of these things are principled here for God, by God. Now, tithing is different than offerings, right? We say tithes, and we're going to receive our tithes and offerings, right? So we'll put offerings up here. Now, what is the difference? Put simple, as Janet just said, tithing, that's God's. So by rights, it belongs to Him, we just bring it back. But the offering belongs to us, but we do with what we want. Remember in Acts chapter 5. In Acts chapter 5, when the church is just newly formed and all of them, they were bringing their possessions together and they were living communally, kind of, and they had to. You've got to remember that. They didn't have a choice. This was not a favorite time of, of Christianity. There were, they were not people just like, oh my goodness, that whole Christian thing, that's so cool. Yeah, we should really be a part of that. No, they were being killed for their faith, so they had to live communally. And so Ananias and Sapphira, everybody's selling their lands and their possessions and everything, and they're bringing the money and giving it to the apostles because the apostles would then give it to people as they needed it. And Ananias and Sapphira, they went and they sold their land, and they brought back a part of it and said, hey, just so you know, this is everything. And Peter says, it's like, why has Satan possessed you to lie to the Holy Spirit? When the land, when you owned it, was it not yours? And then after you sold it, did the money not belong to you? Why are you lying to the Holy Spirit? And then the judgment came. That means that it was always his to do with one. He didn't have to bring a dime. Not one dime. That was his choice. But he chose to, and he lied. Now, when we get into the offerings that are in the, the, in the Scriptures, okay, then we see something here. We see that there was basically five kinds, and I don't want to get into the weeds, but the five kinds... Were the burnt offerings, I think I've got that up there, the grain offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. Now, this is different. They were to bring in these different offerings and bring them so that they could, um, you know, for different reasons, and we'll get into that. But the tithe always belonged to God. Now, when we talked about first fruits and tithe, you guys remember what all of this pointed to? It was Jesus. 
and the tithe. It always pointed to Jesus because Jesus was the first fruit among many. We saw in Genesis chapter 4 in the offering in Cain and Abel. Why couldn't God honor Cain's offering? Because it wasn't a first fruit offering. It said, and in the process of time, he brought an offering where Abel brought his first and his best. The distinction there. God couldn't approve that offering because it wasn't first and it wasn't best. But when we get into these things here, what you'll see is these first three are free will offerings. That means you choose to do it. The bottom two were mandatory. They were required to bring them, and I think you can see why, the sin and the trespass offering. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the specifics of what these were, because we'll get down in the weeds with this. I did teach on this when we went through the Emmaus Road series, talking about these offerings and how every one of them points to Christ. And if you want, you can go online and listen to that. But the bottom line here is, is the burnt offering was an expression of a commitment to God. It was the bottom line of it. I bring in this entire animal. The entire thing was consumed. It was, it was burnt. The grain offering was a thank offering, a thankfulness. God, thank you so much. As was the peace offering. It was for thanksgiving and fellowship. We're going into thanksgiving, right? It was a time that they would bring something to the Lord, just thanking him for all that he's done. They were not required to bring any of those three. But the bottom two, the sin and the trespass offering, were for atonement and to make one clean. The sin offering made them clean. The trespass offering was for an unintentional sin. Okay? I did something, and, and we have to keep this in mind. All of these were about cleanliness. Spiritual cleanliness. Okay? When it talks about being atoned, it was giving them the right that they were now washed clean. It's like mikvah. When they would go and they would baptize, that's how we say it, but they would cleanse themselves. It was all about being clean. So we have three that were free will offering and two that were mandatory. All right? Now, let's watch this start to play out. Because I want to show you about these offerings and how these worked out with any of the giving that was in the Scriptures, especially the Old Testament. We're going to start at Exodus chapter 35. Now, the law of Moses is what we call it, the Ten Commandments. All of that just happens. All right? And they're getting ready to build the tabernacle. The tabernacle was this mobile tent, if you will. It was the house of God. You had the outer court where the, the brazen altar was and the brazen labor. And then you go into the holy places where the priests did their things, the table of showbread, the menorah, uh, the altar of incense. And then into the most holy place was where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that is where God resided. It was his throne, was the mercy seat. He sat upon the mercy seat, and only the high priest, one day a year on the Day of Atonement, could go into there. And he would first make a sacrifice cleansing himself, and then he would make a sacrifice on behalf of the nation of Israel, and he would go in there and he would sprinkle that blood onto the mercy seat. If he didn't follow it to a T, that the second he walked through that, that veil, that curtain that was there, that he would die, because there cannot be sin in the presence of God. And so that is all that's going on here. So that's what the tabernacle is. They're getting ready to build this because God commanded. He showed Moses exactly how to build it. Now watch this. And all the congregation, we're going to start in verse 20, Exodus 35. All the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. Then everyone came whose heart was stirred and everyone whose spirit was willing. And they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all its service and for the holy garments. They came, both men and women, as many as had a willing heart. 
and brought earrings and nose rings, rings and necklaces, all jewelry of gold. That is, every man who made an offering of gold to the Lord. And every man with whom was found blue, purple, and scarlet thread, fine linen, goat's hair, red skins of rams, and badger skins brought them. Everyone who offered an offering of silver or bronze brought the Lord's offering, and everyone with whom was found acacia wood for any work of the service brought it. All the women who were gifted artisans spun yarn with their hands and brought what they had spun of blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine linen. All the women whose hearts stirred the wisdom spun yarn of goat. Uh, goat's hair, the rulers brought onyx stones and the stones to be set in the ephod and in the breastplate and spices and oil for the light, for the anointing oil, for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought the free will offering to the Lord. All the men and women whose hearts were willing to bring material for all kinds of work which should be the Lord by the hand of Moses had commanded. There's a lot going on here. Now, again, I don't want to get into the weeds and talking about the specifics, but just understand these were all the things that were required to do this. The high priest, they all, the priests all wore these ephod. The high priest had this breastplate that had the 12 stones in it. That's all the things that they're talking about here. This blue and purple and scarlet, these were fine threads. Israel was doing well financially. They're probably the only slaves that were ever released that left rich because they just fled Egypt. I mean, this is just right after that. And they had tons of stuff. And what do you see here? Is that they willingly brought all of this stuff for the service of the Lord's work. This was stuff they already owned. This wasn't their increase. This is stuff they owned while they're in Egypt. So they free will of their own accord brought this offering, right? All right, well, let's look at another one. Let's jump over to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Because we see here the tabernacle. Let's talk about the temple. The tabernacle was... Uh, temporary. As the Israelites wandered around the wilderness, they'd pick this thing up and move. And they would move it around, they'd reset it up, and they'd stay there for whatever time, and then they would go to the next place. Wherever the Spirit of God moved, that's where they would move. And so, in the time that it came that they were to build a house for the Lord, the temple, all right, if you talk about Israel today, you see the Temple Mount, the Western Wall, that's why it's such a big deal, is that David desperately wanted to build this, but he couldn't. God wouldn't allow him because he was a man of war. His hands were stained with blood. It wasn't a bad thing. But David took care of all the things necessary for Solomon to do it. That he could go and build this thing. And so when we get in here, this talking now about the temple. Now watch what happens. First Chronicles chapter 29, starting in verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great because the temple is not for man, but for the Lord God. Now for the house of my God I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron for things of iron, wood for things of wood, onyx stones, stones to be set, glistening stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. Now let's stop there for a minute. Does this thing sound like it's going to be kind of elaborate? Absolutely. Now think about today. If, because people call the church the house of God. Is the church the house of God? No, it's, it, it houses the godly, right? This is the place that we go to worship. We are the house of God. But imagine today that if a church was going to build a building like that, what would you hear? Oh, they don't need all of that stuff. Why are they? They could be feeding the poor with that. They could be helping the homeless. with. Oh, they don't need anything like that. It was okay here. Because why do we say that? Because we act like God only has a finite amount of income, amount of money that he can provide for that. That's a little side note. There's no extra charge for that. Verse 3. 
Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver. This is David talking. I'm giving more. 3,000 talents of gold, of the golds of Ophir, 7,000 talents of refined silver, to overlay the walls of the houses, the gold for things of gold and the silver for things of silver, and for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen. Who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? So David is throwing down the gauntlet. Let me tell you what I'm going to do. And he wasn't bragging. He said, I've already prepared all this other stuff, but on top of that, I'm going to do more because I believe in this project so much. And I don't want to get into how much these talents of gold and talents of silver are worth, but it's a lot. Even our government would have a hard time spending that money. That's saying a lot, okay? Verse 6, then the leaders of the fathers' houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work, offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord in the hand of Jehiel the Gershonite. And the people rejoiced, for they offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. Now, that Jehiel guy, he was kind of like the uh, uh, administrator of the funds, if you will. He was the guy taking, he was, he was the uh, accountant, I suppose, if, if what we would call it. But what do we see here? We see a trend forming. None of this was the tithe. Not one bit of it. These were things that were over and above. And so when we give this offering, how do we give it? Well, according to the pattern that we just saw, the first thing is that we give it willingly. Did they have to do it? Nope. It says those with a willing heart, those who were stirred, those who were moved with compassion, willingly brought it. There was no commandment. We see the same thing in Acts chapter 5. He, Peter didn't tell them, he said, listen guys, go sell all your stuff and bring it to me. Right? What do we, cult leaders do that, right? See, that happened constantly. So they had to bring it willingly. How else did they bring it? They didn't just bring it, yes, I am willing to do this. They brought it cheerfully. They were not just a little excited about this. They wanted to do this. They were enthralled with the idea that we get to be a part of what God is doing. Who's building that house? It's God. So they're bringing what they have. But it was also brought with purpose. What was the purpose? The purpose here is we need to build the temple. We need to build the ark of God, or the, the tabernacle of God. Why? Because God has told us to. So we get the opportunity to do this. Now, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. You see, the principle is laid out again in the New Testament by Paul here because the principle was always the same. The principles of these never change. We have to be willing, cheerful, and with a purpose of why we're doing something, right? I always tell people, you know, especially when we were going to El Salvador, um, you know, like Isaac Falk went with us as an example. And I told Isaac, I said, you need to pray about it and you need to have a number in your head of what you are willing to give while you're down there. 
because the need is great and you can come back with a negative bank account very quickly, which isn't God's will. Set aside. Be willing, be cheerful, and on purpose why we are doing this. Okay? You guys follow me on this? You guys see what I'm saying? This is different than the tithe. It can't be the same thing because the principles are different. Then we see that it is above the tithe because how do I know this? Because this was theirs to bring. This wasn't. They were stewarding this, right? They were in charge of it, but they didn't own it. They own that. So it's above the tithe. We bring the tithe, but we give the offering. Let's say that again. We bring the tithe back to God, because it's His. But we give the offering. And then lastly, it's as we desire. Whatever that amount is, it's as we desire. Can the Lord lay a number on your heart specifically? Absolutely. does it all the time. But there's other times where maybe we just see there's a need, and we can, we can do it. We just meet it. I don't need to pray about it. I mean, if I know somebody's struggling, and that $100 would help them out, and I have $100, I don't need to pray about that. Now, if that $100 is to pay my rent, you know, unless God specifically tells me to, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's not wisdom. Okay, that's the difference there, okay? Because this is the offering. This, the, and, and the key here is this belongs to God. This belongs to us. Can you see the distinctions? It's not one and the same. There are key distinctions in all of this. And so when we look at this, it's as we desire, it belongs to us. And why does this matter? And why does God care? Luke chapter 12, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What I'm telling you, what is what I told you last week and what I've told you for several weeks, is that God is not after your money. He is after your heart. He wants your heart. With a cheerful heart, I give. Because my hope and my trust is not in my ability. Because if it was, my goodness... I mean, if you compare what you bring to the table versus what God brings to the table, it doesn't even come close. You might bring more to the table than I can, but when we compare that to God, it doesn't even come close. You see, God has been after the heart of the people since the very beginning. He told Adam and Eve, hey, I've given you everything. One thing you can't do. Where'd their heart go? You can be like God. Their heart wasn't there. So they, they fell. And from the time after that, people have been failing God since, since the very beginning. I mean, it's just been a nonstop pattern. You see with the Israelites that they get into the land, they do good, everything's well, then they forget about God because things are going so well, and so God sends judgment. From that judgment, they begin to cry out to God, God, we're so sorry. So God raised up a, a, a judge, a deliverer, <coughs> excuse me. And they, people repent, and life is good, and God blesses them again, and then rinse and repeat, and then we do it all over. It's the pattern throughout the entire scripture. What did God want that entire time? Their heart. So let's look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Deuteronomy is the last book um, that Moses is writing here before his death. It says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But that you fear the Lord your God. Okay, what does that mean? Now we're afraid of him. We respect him. We reverence his commandments. To walk in His ways and to love Him and to serve the Lord your God with all your what? He didn't say all your money. 
It says all your heart. You notice it never says anything else. It, it never says anything of this earth that you bring. It says love and serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep the commandments of the Lord for his statutes, which I command you today, for whose good? For your good. Right? This is why they do it. Why was it for their good? If you love me and you'll keep my commandments, you will be blessed. And if you don't, you will be cursed. Whose good is that for? It's for theirs. Does God need our worship? No. Who is worship benefiting more than anybody else? It's us. Because now our hearts are not looking inwardly at ourselves. We're looking to something so much greater than who we are. Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them. You above all peoples, as it is this day, therefore, so because of all of this, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords and great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. Now look what it says there. Circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Now let me explain this. What was circumcision? Circumcision was, it was predated the law. It wasn't, Israel wasn't the only one. But it was the, one of the signs of the Mosaic covenant and of the Abrahamic covenant that through circumcising all males on the eighth day, entered them into the covenant of God. So when they left Israel and, and, and um, Joshua is taking them into the promised land, before they cross the river, they have to stop and circumcise all the people that have been born while they were wandering because none of them have. What does that tell us? They weren't keeping the commandments. So in order to be in covenant with God, they had to do this. And before they entered into the promised land of God, he took time to make this happen. And by doing so, you think about it, it was the seed of that male being born was passing through the sign of the covenant. That is why they did this. I know it sounds weird, but did God just want them to physically enact this and to do this? If that's all it took, then for the most part, they were getting it right. But Moses here says, circumcise the foreskin of your heart. He said, yeah, you've acted correctly, but your heart is not in the right place. Your heart is not willingly, cheerfully, and on purpose belonging to God. You're just going through the motions. Be stiff-necked no longer. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. You see it again. You see it in Jeremiah 4, verse 4. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord and take away the foreskins of your heart, you men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my fury come forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it because of the evil of your doings. What do we see? Yeah, you're doing all the right things, but you're doing them with all the wrong motives. It's like bringing an offering. Giving for the sake of giving has have no purpose if you're begrudging. If you're not doing it with a cheerful heart, if you're doing it out of necessity. We'll get into some of the other things that happen later, but, but the bottom line is this. It's all a matter of the heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you may be thinking, like, okay, well, that's all well and good, but that was part of their covenant, and at that time, and it has nothing to do with us. Well, it kind of does, because look at Romans chapter 2. Verse 28, for he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. 
circumcision of the heart. This is Romans. This was written to a Gentile world. It wasn't just written to Jews. You see, it is all a matter of our heart. Does our heart fully belong to God? It's a question that only you can answer. Yeah, you might be born again. I mean, if we, we say that we gave our heart to the Lord, and most of the time we give part of our heart to the Lord because we don't want to go to hell, but does everything belong to Him? Do we put our trust in Him? Here's how you can test that. When things get rough, do we get stressed out? Do we, do, we, do we worry about finances? Do we worry about that kind of stuff? Or do we just trust the God that He will provide? Now, I have to preface that. Again, we're going to talk about this stuff later on. But sometimes your poor decision-making has caused your problems. It's not always a lack. Sometimes it's, it's not doing the right things, and that, that happens. So why was all of this stuff here? Why is it written down? Why do we see this? And why does Paul keep referencing back to this Old Testament pattern of this giving and this offering and the circumcision of the heart? Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival of a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. What this is telling us is that there is all of these things that are patterns there were a shadow, and as soon as Christ showed up, we see the fulfillment of them. I showed you last week how Jesus was the first fruit, and we could say he was the tithe of God. But what about the offering? Was he also the offering? Remember the burnt offering, the peace offering, the sin offering. Were all of those fulfilled by Jesus as well? Well, the short answer is yes. In Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 1, and I'll explain this as I go. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come. Okay, the law, referring to the Mosaic law from the time of Moses on. Having a shadow of the good things to come. What is the good thing? Ultimately, that's Jesus. But it's also what the act of Jesus brought on our behalf. And not the very image of the things can never be, never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. Now, what are we talking about? We're talking about the offerings, the burnt offering, the sin offering, the peace offering, the trespass, all the, the grain offering, the drink offering, all these offerings that were brought. They brought them year by year. And it couldn't take care of the problem. Because if it could have, once they did it, why didn't they just stop? That's what he's saying here. For the worshippers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. Remember, it's atoning for their sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. It's not possible. So they were doing all of this stuff and bringing it to the Lord, but it was impossible for that to take away their sins. It could atone for them. It could purify them temporarily, but they become unpurified. So it couldn't take them away. Verse 5, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, who's he? He's Jesus. So he says, because of this, when Jesus came into the world, this is what he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come 
in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Is that burnt offering pointing to Jesus? Absolutely. He just said it was. He's telling us exactly what it was doing. Verse 8, previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second, referring to the covenants, the new covenant. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So now let's look at this. Was Jesus willing? Yeah. Was he cheerful? Did he have a purpose? I mean, it was more than just the first fruits. Because he just fulfilled all these other things, so it can't be the same. Did he have a desire? Could he have said no? He could have. For by one offering, he's perfected forever those who are being sanctified. No, no, let me go back. I skipped ahead. Verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Remember, that's the job of the priest. Every day, people were bringing in these offerings and they would sacrifice them. And it was, it was rinse and repeat every single day. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies were made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Why? The high priest every year had to go through this rigor more again. The priest every single day. But when Christ did it, he was done. Because now the work has been complete. He was the perfect offerer and the perfect offering. He was the first fruit who willingly brought himself and laid down his life. But the Holy Spirit also witnessed to us, for after he said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, and I will write them. And he has their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering of sin. So why does he not remember them? Because he chooses not to. Because they've been paid for. He doesn't need to remember them. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, these are all the things that the high priest did. It, one day a year on the Day of Atonement would enter in through that veil and sprinkle the most holy place with the blood of the sacrifice of the Lamb that was willingly brought and it would purify the nation for one year. But what Jesus did, being the perfect offer, who's our great high priest and the mediator of the covenant, this better covenant, when he did it, he sat down because now the work was complete. And now those of us being sanctified, which means that we are becoming more and more like the image of God, we are, our hearts are sprinkled from this evil conscience because we've been washed with the pure water, the living water, the Holy Spirit. You guys following this? So was God a willing participant that willingly and cheerfully and on purpose gave for our behalf? Because this is why it matters, Isaiah 53, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering, for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. If you're wondering why 
God has all of these things going on in the Old Testament. You're seeing the fulfillment in Christ. And if you're wondering why, he says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Now think about that for a minute. Think about that verse. Because if your treasure is in the tithe, if you're just like, this all belongs to God. I don't. Money is a tool given to me by God, and I'm going to bring the first part back to him every single time. It's the first thing I'm going to do. And I bring it because I'm trusting him. And then when opportunity presents itself and there's a time to give and I, somebody needs something or there's something going on or whatever, I'm going to willingly and cheerfully and on purpose, I'm going to seek the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to give in this case? And I will willingly do it because my treasure is not in the things of this world. But I store up for myself treasures in heaven where wrath, rust and moth cannot destroy it. In other words, it's in people. It's in what God is doing. But think about this. Where was God's treasure? Look around the room. Because he gave his first, his only begotten son and his best, willingly, cheerfully, and on purpose. He sent him into the world to die for us. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He treasured us so much that while we were still sinners, while we were mocking God and wanted nothing to do with him, sent his son into this world to die a death that we rightfully deserve because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But because of what he's done, now we are washed clean. Now we are called righteous. And now we can enter boldly into the throne room and find grace when we need it because our hearts have been sprinkled clean. You see, this is why I'm saying God is not after your money. He's after your heart. We can be born again and yet our heart be far from Him. We saw people underneath the covenant of God in the Old Testament, and yet He kept saying, you stiff-necked people, you need to circumcise your heart. That's what we need to do today. We need to circumcise our heart. How do we do this? We stop robbing God first and foremost. We bring back what belongs to Him. We bring it to Him, and with a cheerful and thankful heart that we, we do that because we know His hand is on the ninety. But if his hand's on the 90, I know that he can always provide more. And if there's opportunities to give, then I can jump on it. I mean, guys, there's things going on right now. They're always building more houses down in El Salvador. There's a need down there. It costs about 500 bucks to do it. There's an opportunity there. There's a need right here, right here at home. You guys realize, realize that this time of year is stressful for families? Because we get caught up in the glitz and glamour and we got to go get our kids gift. And sometimes there are people that are having just a hard time. You know, I, I'm, I'll bring this up and, and, and we're going to, we are this year going to receive an offering to help those that are needing some help right now. Isaac being one of them. Isaac's down there at Ramah. He had a hard time finding a job. He's two months behind on his rent. He's working it out with his landlord. Uh, he's trying. You guys know Isaac is a little quiet, not the most outgoing person in the world. But he's struggling right now. We got families in the church that are just kind of struggling right now. Things are tough. You know, we've got college students, you know, one of them in the back who's paying his own way through school right now, working and going to school full time. Could we bless him? Could we help him out? Why not? Well, let's be willing to do it and let's be cheerful about it and let's have a purpose behind it. I mean, guys, so what I'm telling you is here in a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to receive an offering to help these people out this time of year, because it's stressful, because we get caught up in it. We all know, and we all say this, the gifts don't matter, but convince a child of that, right? It's like, hey, don't worry, I didn't get you any presents, because there's nothing better than the love of a parent. 
They can't open that on, on Christmas morning, all right? I suppose you could try. Wrap yourself up, make them open it. They'll be disappointed, I promise. See, guys, what I'm getting at here is God's after our heart. Do we see that? Do you guys with me? You guys understand that? You see, it's, th- it's so crucial that we get this because we're doing it with money. But there's a reason because there's a God of this world and he's making promises. And he's saying, follow me and I'll make you rich. I'll give you power. I'll give you status. He's called mammon. And we've got to break the spirit of mammon. And that's what we're going to talk about next week.